So let me start by highlighting something uh, that I have not highlighted much up to this point, but something that has been right on my mind along the way through the Psalms. And that is that the Psalms, they are put together sometimes so they actually emphasize certain themes. So when, um, for example, we studied Psalm 20 and 21. Psalm 20 and 21. And those Psalms, we, if you remember, deal with the king, the victory of the king. This is a victorious king. And his people join in his victory. And then right on the heels of Psalm 20 and 21, the book of Psalms was put together to put Psalm 22 next to those two Psalms to teach us that as much as we might talk about the victory of the king, Psalm 22 teaches us that that victory comes through the suffering of the king. Okay, so Psalm 22 has everything to do about this king who suffers and through his suffering comes out on the other side victorious. And you remember as we talked, right, that Psalm 20 and 21, how encouraging those are, you always have to bring Psalm 22 up against it. Because as Christians, we know our victory didn't come because Jesus entered the world with a bazooka. He entered the world and went to a cross. And so victory was on the other side of his suffering. And so Psalm 20 and 21 have to be coupled with Psalm 22. And those were put together on purpose as the book of Psalms was put together under the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, that same kind of thing is happening here in Psalm 24. So yesterday, last week we did Psalm 23. Well, today we do Psalm 24 as we just do this very long walk through every psalm of the book of Psalm, multi-year, multi-year series. And now when we come up against Psalm 24, we, re- we realize that it comes on the heels at the end of Psalm 23. You remember how Psalm 23 ends? Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, Psalm 24 comes now to explain more, to describe more of who this God is. Who is this Lord with whom we will dwell forever and ever? So David's going to take, take this idea of dwelling with the Lord and now he's going to expand. And we're going to see three key attributes of this God with whom David will dwell forever and ever. We're going to see something about God being creator, his holiness, and his glory. Just those three things right there. Creator, holy, and glorious. All right. There's the psalm. Psalm 24. Ten verses. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. I'm reading now the New International Version. Psalm 24. These ten verses coming right on the heels of Psalm 23. Here's verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, the King of glory? 
the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. So these ten verses have a lot to say to us. It says something about God creator, God holy, God glorious. And I think it's going to have something to say to you and me right where we live in everyday life. So there's going to be some application for us today. Right out of the gate, David has something to say about God being creator, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here, I think what's happening is David, a man who would have known the scriptures, at least the scriptures written to that point, particularly the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And David probably is hyperlinking at this point back to the very words of Moses. Remember, Moses has got to teach these people who have been saved, who have been brought out of Egypt, this this people who did not know God, not in his fullness, and now Moses teaching them who this God is. Deuteronomy 10.14, look at one of the things Moses has to say about this God who has saved them. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Sounds very similar to the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? David here wants to note that this, this God with whom he will dwell forever and ever, he is the God who created the universe. Everything. In the heavens, on earth, and under the earth. This is the God who created everything. This is the key distinction the Bible brings forward for us. He is creator, and we are not. Key distinction. And it's a theme that runs through the whole Bible. Even in the Psalms, we're going to see this thing just come up over and over again. I just got two places I want to show you this. Psalm 33. Take a look. Later in the Psalms, we read this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their sorry host by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And then take a look at Psalm 89, verses 8 through 11. Just grab a few, uh, few sentences of, of those verses. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You rule over the surging sea. The heavens are yours. Yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. So a key, a key part of this is that because God created it, he gets to rule it. I mean, that's, that is a key principle that runs from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He is creator, therefore he holds the authority. He made it, he determines what happens. There, you never can say back to God, you're not fair. Because he creates the rules. He holds the authority. He is in control. Now, as I was preparing the sermon, so what I do as I write this sermon out, so a little bit of an insight of what's happening, because I want to tell you what happened this morning. So I write these sermons out in manuscript form. I, I, I identify what's going to be on a slide, what comes from a scholar, what do I write, like what do I want to put on a slide, but it comes from me, not a commentator. And I just let, I mean, just, just one big Word document. And then what I do is I, I, I take all of that and I reduce it to a page, like, like our two pages, handwritten, and then I circle and put boxes around the things that I need to make sure to remember. Things will be on a slide. And right as I am writing out to make sure to memorize all that's going to come forward this morning, I'm writing out this section about God as creator. God is in control. God has authority. If he made it, then he gets to rule it. I mean, I'm pulling just from the language that we just read. You're not going to believe it. Just this morning, as I'm just finalizing it in my mind, 
Micah and Ava, don't put the picture up, Micah and Ava, they're building with these magnets we've bought. Uh, they love these magnets. You can build real big things. No kidding. As I'm handwriting, Micah says this as they're doing this. Check it out. So they're building. Here it is. They're building, building a tower. Literally, Micah says to Ava, it's my tower. You have to follow my rules. I thought, here a four-year-old understands the principle. If he makes it, it's his. Now, in our household, everything seems to be Micah's, and, um, and he tries to be in control. And if you know Ava, she has having none of it. She, 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 it's, it's, there's always fighting in our house. Um, but I thought, man, what a great, like, we get this. Like, we get it intuitively. If you build it, you get to control it. But here's the thing. When it comes to the creation, He's creator. He rules it. Not me and you. And I mean, this is just, it's woven into us as humans. The problem isn't that God's in control, it's that we think we are. Right? But man, Micah gets it. I didn't even have to teach him that. I have to teach him the opposite of all that, right? Yeah? Uh, but he gets it. So I thought, oh, that's so cool. So like, right when I was right, I thought, i got to get a picture of all this. So I go, and they think they're in a photo shoot now. It's really something. Ava gets real into it. I just, I just need something for the sermon. Just need something for the sermon. Um, so, uh, now, Ava knew she was going to be in the sermon. So if you know Ava, would you just let her know she was in the sermon? Because she's going to bug me for the rest of the day. Dad, did you use our pictures? Did you use our pictures? Yes. Yes, I used your picture. All right. So just insert that. That was not part of my planning. But how, I mean, just right at that moment. All right. So when you think about a God who creates everything, rules everything, he's in control, if we could just get a glimpse, I mean, literally, if we just could get a glimpse and feel the weight of that reality, I think we really struggle with that, by the way. But if we could get a glimpse, if we could feel it just a little bit, I think we would ask exactly what David asks, right? And that's who in the world could go be in front of that God? Like, if we could feel it, if we could just have any sense of who we're dealing with, I think we would ask the very question David asked, like, who can go be in front of him? David says it this way. Remember how he says it in verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? So David here is beginning to make the shift from understanding God as creator now to understanding when we talk about him as creator, we're talking about him as holy. R.C. Sproul, a guy who wrote a book called The Holiness of God, such a well-known book, been in publication now for over 50 years. I highly recommend it. Sproul says this about God's holiness. I love the quote, so why don't I go ahead and give it to us here. When the Bible speaks about God's holiness, the primary thrust of those statements is to refer to God's transcendence, to His magnificence. To that sense in which God is higher and superior to anything there is in the creaturely realm. The secondary meaning is that which refers to moral righteousness and purity. We're really dealing with God as other. I mean, He is so far beyond us in His magnificence, in His, in His beauty. We really can't compare I think the closest thing, maybe a couple of the things that might be closest to how we might feel that, because I think we have a hard time feeling this, is you know the experience when you hold a new baby? 
When you hold a new baby, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone hold a baby and not smile. Right? You hold that, that little thing. And, 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 but you also, have you, have you ever held a baby and just felt nervous too? Like nervous because not only are they fragile and you don't want to break it. Like that's part of it. Like, man, we don't usually hold such tiny, vulnerable things. But there's something about a baby. There's something about a baby's purity and innocence. It takes our words from us, right? It's why we typically smile or you cry. It's why there's a bit of a nervousness around it. because Not just because they're fragile, but because they're pure. It's about as pure as you're going to get as a human being. And they're innocent. They actually show you everything in their face. You don't look at a baby and think, they're hiding something from me. Everything you see is what they are. We typically don't have that in our normal relationships. But with a baby, there's something so pure. And so we smile. We we don't have words. We intuitively know this thing is different than us. It's why you don't typically look at your coworker and have those same feelings. Because you know they're tricky, they're lazy, they're incompetent. Not all of them, but the ones you don't like, right? But what baby have you ever looked at and said, I don't like you? Now, if you have, we may, we, we may need to baptize you too with that Blue Devil fan. <laughs> all right. The other way I think we feel it, and we've talked about this, is when you stand in front of someone really attractive or immensely powerful. There's something about standing in front of someone both attractive and powerful that takes your words away, makes you nervous, because you know they're other. They're beyond you in some way, and you know you're not. There's something about being in their presence that you're not worthy of. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Listen, I got, all, I got plenty of faults as a husband. Plenty of them. But I'm telling you, I still feel it with Tess. And I'm hoping you spouses do too. Like literally, there are sometimes, like even this week when I see Tess and I'm like, man. And you know what I think? I think what Crow thinks about Becky. How did I get her? How did I get her? Right, Crow? I mean, how did you get Becky? I mean, seriously, how did you get Becky? No, <laughs> right? I mean, but don't you feel that? Like, don't you, when you get in front of someone that looks good, you're like, man, I don't deserve to be in their presence. That, I'm just trying to grab it, just a small sense of what it is to be in the presence of God in His holiness. Man, there is a sense, a deep sense that we are not worthy because He is so pure and righteous and other. That's the thing we're grabbing at. That's the peace, that's the affection, that's the feeling behind David crying out, who is worthy to ascend the mountain of God? Who is He to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever in front of this holy God? Well, David knows it's someone who is pure, right? Pure and pure and, and their heart is clean. That's who gets to stand before God. The problem with that is nobody's pure, nobody's fully clean. 
David himself reminds us of that back in Psalm 14, which feels like a lifetime ago. But Psalm 14, if you remember, we read this. Um, Oh, oh, can we move forward? I'm going to switch it in my head right now. Okay, here we go. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's Psalm 14. So David here is noting in Psalm 24, those who are pure and clean, they get to go before God. But Psalm 14 has already reminded us, no one's pure. The Apostle Paul made it, said it even more succinctly. I think we know this verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do you get to go be before God when you're not clean? The other piece of being clean is that you don't worship idols, right? Like that's part of the equation. You don't worship idols. Problem is, we all have our idols. David says something about idols here I want to note. I want to get behind the English. In the Hebrew, this is the literal translation of verse 4. Here it is. He says, the person who has not lifted up his soul to emptiness. So the word in, in English, we're translating this in English, idol. But the literal translation is empty. So it tells us something about idolatry. It tells us something about when we worship things other than God. I want to summarize it this way. So here's how I want to summarize it. I just decided to try to make this concise. Idolatry leads to death. Because when we worship anything other than God, we're giving the energy of our lives to something or someone that only takes and never gives back real life. Idols are empty, and they leave us empty and dead inside. This is the nature of idolatry. When we worship something or someone other than God, we literally will be left empty because as you give away your attention, your money, your energy, your worry, when you give it all to something or someone else other than God, and I mean when you, we're talking about worship. I don't mean buying groceries. I mean when you give away your life to someone or something else. It, will, it has to leave you empty because by nature of it being an idol, it never gives back. It never gives back anything that's sustaining. It will give you quick hits. It'll give you a quick affirmation. It'll give you a quick feeling, a good feeling. But in the end, none of that lasts because it literally doesn't have substance. It doesn't live forever and ever. And therefore, when you give your life to something that never li- doesn't live forever and ever, you will become like it and you will become a shell of a person. There is a mental health crisis in our country. There is no doubt. And we have to take those things seriously, particularly from a clinical perspective. But never forget that as Christians, we also remember that a lot of mental health, uh, a lot of the mental health issues we face in our day are because a lot of people are worshiping idols. And idols will leave you empty. A lot of emptiness is because people are worshiping the wrong thing or the wrong someone. I'm not saying we get away with clinical diagnosis. But don't ever think it's just about a chemical imbalance. Sometimes and often, it's a heart issue. And so David says, who gets to stand in front of God? Pure clean. You're pure and you're clean and you don't give your life away to things that are empty. Problem is, is that we all do it, right? So what's the solution? 
in, right there in, in verse 5, we don't have this on a screen, David actually says vindication comes from the Lord. So the only way you're getting in front of God, the only way that you're being vindicated, that you're declared right, is God's got to give that to you. And it's right here in verse 5 in that vindication that we as Christians, well, we see the gospel of Jesus, right? Is it not Jesus who had our sin imputed to him? Literally, our sin, our rebellion, all of our idolatry, and all the punishment that was due it was put on Christ. And he paid what we could not pay for. And then he, in return, gives us his righteousness. And by having his righteousness, we walk into the presence of God. And does he see your sin? Nope. He sees all of Christ and all of His righteousness. We literally become the righteousness of God through Christ. The Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said it a lot shorter than I did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the Gospel right there. Who gets to stand in the presence of God? Anyone who has Jesus. That's who gets to be in God's presence and all of his holiness. And so David knew it wasn't his perfection. It was God's vindication that gets him to the ascent onto the holy mountain. To be in front of God, to dwell with him forever and ever. The, the psalm ends with these four verses with lots of repetition, right? So we've moved from God as creator to God's holiness. And then he wants to say something about God's glory. And he does it with, with repetition. And so note it here. I just want to, let's just feel the repetition. Twice here he says, verse 8 and 10, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. David here is using the imagery of a king coming back into the city and the gates opening wide as he walks in in all of his victory, uh, all of his glory, all of the uh, all of the majesty that is tied to his victory. So you just have this image of the people and the gates and everyone shouting with praise because of the majesty and the glory of the king. And so, so, it, so this God who has created the world in control of everything, who rules because He is Creator, this God who is holy, so magnificent, is also the God who is full of glory and brilliance. One of my favorite pastor scholars, Tim Keller, he defines glory this way. Real short definition, but I like what he does here. He says this, God's glory is His infinite weight. His supreme importance, His inexpressible beauty and perfection. I think the key here is that supreme importance. Do you know why the city gates and everyone in the city have turned their attention to God? As He comes into the city victorious, this Creator, this holy, this glorious King, God. Because He is supremely important. When God comes into the city, there is nothing and no one more important than Him. Nothing and no one. And so twice He makes sure to get this across by declaring the King of glory has arrived. Because He is supremely important. Psalm 24, that is a description of this God with whom David will dwell forever and ever. He's the Creator. He's holy. He's glorious. And I think here, if I think about how in the world this relates to your life and mine, like what does this even mean for me as I walk into the rest of this Sunday? 
I think it puts two reminders in front of us. Two. Here we go. First one is this. Idols are empty, and they will leave us empty. I don't want to say a bunch on this. I think you and I know when we are giving our attention and our energy and our life to something other than God. I think we do. Here's one test uh, to, 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 give it a, to give it a go, to maybe see what your idol is or to maybe be aware of what it is. What do you worry about? Just often what we worry about is the thing we think about the most and the thing we fear the most. It's the thing that has consumed us. And for some people, that's money. Like you're just, you live in a scarcity mindset, you're not going to have enough money. And in some ways, then you worship money. Or maybe you are thinking about your future plans, a loved one, I don't know. It doesn't just have to be worry, I'm just saying, sometimes that can, that can trigger your thinking. What do you sacrifice for? Sometimes those are our idols. I don't know. I just want you to be thinking about it. Just really, just to put it on your radar. Be self-aware. What are you giving your attention to? What are you giving your time to? That will tell you a lot. You know the, the phrase, and I'm not going to get it because you know I don't remember cliches, but it's something like, if you want to know what's important to someone, look at their calendar and their checkbook. Right? Isn't that what it is? Something like that? Yeah. What you give your time to, what you give your money to. Here's, here's the point here. If you are giving your life to something other than God, you will be left empty. So if you feel empty right now, it could be for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's just being sad, and it's okay. We're, we are moody people. We're humans who live in time. Sometimes we're just sad, and sometimes we're just grumpy. But in general, if you've just been sad for a long time, check your heart. I mean, that's always a good thing to do. All right, so if you're feeling empty, just check the heart. Where are you giving your life to? I think it's a good reminder coming out of Psalm 24. The second one is this. I think it's good to remember this. I am not the center of the universe. I say this a lot, but man, I think it's real key for us. Now, I think this applies to the generation 200 years ago. Like I think this, this point has applied for humans ever since humans were created. But I think it's got... A bit, of a, a bit of an emphasis in our day. Do you know why? Because of these things. Right here. If I want to know something that I don't know, what do I do? Boom. That's right. If I want to laugh at something, I just want to laugh and just veg for a second. Boom. I just open up and I go through reels and they make me laugh. Right? Anything I want, anything I want to see, even if I want to order something, even if I don't have the money to order it, doesn't matter. I can open up a credit line and buy something on Amazon within minutes. All the ads, all the commercials, it's all geared towards me. Right? All right. Ten years ago, Time Magazine had a cover. Had a cover. Here's what they put on the front of that cover. The me, me, me generation. You see what that person's doing at the bottom? That's right. It's all about me. There's a new app out there. I don't know if you've heard about it. Now, because I have been the acting youth minister, man, I am up on everything. There's this app called Be Real. Be Real. And you know how, you're, how you be real? You take a picture of yourself. But in this app, it takes a picture of you and everything on the other side. So you can't hide where you are. 
So if you're at a farm taking a be real, I mean, taking a selfie, it'll show you the cow on the other side of the picture. You can't hide it. I don't know. Pick word. I don't know why I went farm. I don't know. Maybe someone needed to hear that this morning. Um, but literally, we, we have apps that come out to train our, this generation to take more pictures of themselves. We don't need to take more pictures of ourselves. We probably need to do, more, do less with this. My point is this. Even when we don't know what's happening, we are being trained that we are the center of the universe. And companies are paying billions of dollars to convince you of that. Listen, it's already predisposed in the human heart to think we're the center of the universe. And now we just have this extra challenge where all of these things are tied to us being the most important thing in the universe. Let me give you one more example. Have you, like me, I know you have, you'll be talking about something. Let's say you're talking about buying a lawnmower. And you're talking about this in the darkest corner of the universe. And then you open up Facebook just to see what's going on. And the first ad you see is a lawnmower. Everything is about you. So I'm just saying we need, we need to train ourselves to make sure God is the most important person in the universe because he's the center of the universe. Like literally, that needs to be something we need to keep training up in our flesh because we are predisposed to go the opposite direction. So when I thought about what can you and I do, like, what is something practical we could do to help train us in that direction? I thought, well, read your Bible, come to church more. I said, but I use those all the time. So what would be another thing we could do? And then I came up with this. Here's our next step for this week. Be extra generous this week. And remember who's at the center of the universe, uh, center of the world, and in control. Here's why I, I want to bring up generosity. Because when we are extra generous... It, it gets us to a place of being uncomfortable. And when you give, at least if you're truly giving, you give up control, right? So when you give a gift, you're, you're not supposed to get a gift for someone that you think they're going to give it back, right? Like that's not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to give away and it's, you just, it's, it's, there's no strings attached. If you and I give it, we are literally training ourselves to not be in control. Okay? So I don't know if this means you give more of your time, more of your money, more of your attention. I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. But be more generous this week up to the point where you're uncomfortable. Because when you get into that space of being uncomfortable, that's when you'll be aware that you're not in control. And I'm hoping that when you get in that moment of, I'm not in control, you'll remember God is. I'm telling you, the way this works for us is on the money side. When we give what we give to this church, I think, well, my, we could use that over here and over here and over here and over here. But once that check is gone, we trust, God, you're in control. And so, literally, maybe the thing you need to do is give more money. And I don't mean it has to be the East Ten. But you give more money to something and get into that space where it's uncomfortable. I don't know. But when you're uncomfortable, you're not in control. And that's exactly what we need to remember. So this week, move into Psalm 24 where we recognize God's the center of the universe. And I'm just suggesting the way you do that is give to the point it hurts. And as it hurts, remember, you're not in control.
And that's a really good thing for your heart and mind. And it might just help feeling empty. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I just pray it transforms us. May it nourish us as we move into the week. And as we give in whatever way that is, may we remember that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We remember today. You are in control. You're the center of the universe. And so we're going to try to train ourselves in such a way where we get so uncomfortable we lean in to you. We trust you and we acknowledge you at the center. So help us with that. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.